I wish, well, I don't really wish, but I, it's always interesting if you have a passage that is, how do you say, somewhat ambiguous or some, somewhat not well known to the congregation, and they, you, you think, well, I'll speak on this, and everybody goes, ooh. <laughs> but when you pick on a well-known passage, and you pick passages that are, many of you just run to regularly and say, I need to read that passage again. Sometimes we, we read those passages and we need to step back a little bit and in the context of everything the scripture says about that, even though I certainly can't draw all that together, we can draw some things together that change our perspective a little bit. And hopefully we can look at this. Um, we had just read, thank you for uh, the John 15, chapter 15, verses one through eight. And I know you've all seen that passage many times on where Jesus said, I am the true vine. And of course, he uses the word true vine because it's, he means there, as the original language will attest to, he is the exclusive vine, the only vine. And because of that, we can draw promises from here. And we're gonna build upon that when we look at our passage in um, 2 Corinthians. The, before we move ahead, let's just get a little background here. And this is kind of like a two-part series, so... I mean, sermon, so you'll have to excuse me. I'm a little rusty in my transition. So what I would like to say is the idea of a vine is not new to the New Testament era people. It's not new to Old Testament saints. The vine was a concept used many times for different purposes. It was used in teaching and illustrating the work of God to Israel. It was used as an illustration of God's creation and his providence. In fact, uh, it's even used in the New Testament in a, in a very popular way. Uh, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Now you say, how is that so? If you look at John Calvin, and he's been known to say a few things right. John Calvin on this passage in, in John chapter 15, he says that the vine really can, and many people look at it as the vine being a vine field. And the vine are many branches coming off of a central root. And that that field would of course allude to many of the fields presented in the Old Testament and how they were presented. And he said, so we think of this in, in this passage in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 9, where he, where he does say, you are God's field, you are God's building. And sometimes we're referred to as a building, a holy building. Sometimes we, we have illustrations that like the bride of Christ. Sometimes we have other things, many things to teach us. But it, within these, these um, metaphors, there are some very clear lessons. Um, it says in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1, Let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. The vineyard was always a sign of God's providence and what he was doing with his people and what the ideal was to be. And so when this is by Christ used, all those were familiar with how the vineyard was used to express God's providence. It says in Isaiah, Isaiah 5, 2, it said, he dug it up and cleared out stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a tower in the midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And of course, we see that later on by Jesus Christ himself talking about those people that abused the wine press and the wine that was set up. But 
It was used to say all of the effort that went into his creation and what God did. And that's the beauty of the vine because we just don't pick up at the vine. We pick up at Christ. And we pick up at God the Father being the husbandman and the work of the uh, triune God in establishing his church and providing for him and nourishing him and finding a way and determining a way for them to produce good fruit. Um, In Isaiah 27, verse 2, it says, In that day, sing to her a vineyard of red wine. It was always a time where so much was expected of the vine. And Christ expects so much from his church. He's provided for his church. In fact, probably one of the most memorable lessons would be found in Ezekiel. uh, And that's in the... Chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. And we don't have time to read it, but when you get a chance, go there. And he then shows what's wrong with the wild vine. He says, the wild vine grows in the forest, and is it good for anything? Can you even cut it down and make a peg to hang something? No, it's not reliable. Is it good burnt? No. Is it good not burnt? No, it's not good for anything. It grows wild. And he says, that's Israel. And he wanted people to know the vine has a purpose, and the purpose is to produce fruit. And so Jesus now said... He said, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. And he talks about every branch that does not bear fruit. But he said, every branch that bears fruit, he is going to do some work on. You know what Jesus promised? There would be pruning by the, by the father. And we're setting this up for this passage we're coming to in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The promised work, continuing work of Jesus Christ for all of those that are in him. Because the Father has determined we are to bear fruit. And it's ordained that we bear fruit. And branches that don't bear fruit really aren't in Christ. They appear to be in Christ like the wild vine. They appear, but they're useless. And they're going to be separated and burnt. And those that bring forth fruit are those that abide in Christ. They're in Christ. They're found in Christ. Those redeemed by Christ. Those are members of the true church. And so we now come to first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. It says, the apostle here is starting off in, in an unusual passage, and I really encourage you to read it. In fact, it's interesting when you look at John Calvin on Corinthians, he writes, he has uh, two chapters in 1 Corinthians and all the rest is 2 Corinthians. He's like, he must have thought there was some reason to really spend a lot of time in here. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle's dealing with something. His, his apostolic authority is challenged. He has detractors. He has people that, you know, he's not very eloquent. He's no Apollos. That Paul, I don't know, we get by pretty good without Paul. And some thought he was a second-rate apostle. And we know better than that. And there were some that dismissed him because he probably wasn't a good speaker, an eloquent person. But there were some special things about Paul. And Paul, without trying to boast, because he doesn't want to boast. It's the bane of Christianity, pride and boasting. And the apostle says, it is doubtless and not profitable for me to boast. It doubtless not profitable. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, in that opening passage, he said visions and revelations. You can have a vision... And you have a revelation. You can have a revelation without a vision. 
And his point is they're a little different. He's experienced both. And he's going to give us a little bit of insight, just a little bit. And he says, I know a man in Christ who was 14 years, who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I did not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows such a man was caught up to the third heavens. And he's speaking about this man who obviously we have to understand he's speaking about himself. But again, trying to do it as indirectly as possible to do everything to avoid, to avoid boasting, to avoid like what he could do. He wants to hit him to it. Hey, I went to the third heaven. What have you done? He didn't do that. See, I could have taken care of this argument real quick. I've been there. Where have you been? Paul doesn't do that. And he doesn't want to do that because he says... He goes, um, and I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I did not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for man to utter. So 14 years ago, he's kept this a secret apparently for 14 years. But he's been pressed back in the corner, pressed back in the corner, assaulted, assaulted, assaulted. And obviously... Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's supposed to say something. And he goes, he was caught up into the third heavens. Now, you know, you read Dante's Inferno, the seven layers of hell, or however, seven, whatever, and I, hate, I hated everything about that. But uh, I'll act like I enjoyed the classic. I didn't. Uh, but the third heaven's a little different. You know, the first heaven was always categorized. You know, that's where the birds fly. Seconds are in the celestial planets. And the third heaven's the heavenly home of God. And that's the heavenly presence of the spiritual presence of uh, where those in heaven dwell. And that's what he's talking about because he refers to it as paradise. The same paradise where Christ promised the thief that he would be with him in paradise today. He said, I know a man that was caught up there. And when he was caught up there, he said... Um, he heard inexpressible words which are not lawful for a man to utter. Now, some have said that means Paul sat there and heard this going on and didn't understand it. That doesn't seem likely because I think what you're seeing are visions and revelations. And he has a clear understanding of what's being said. He is not permitted to talk about it. It's not unusual. You know, in Peter, it says that the angels wanted to know what was going to happen. And God said, no, there's things that there aren't for you to know. And there's things aren't for you and me to know in this life. There just aren't. And he said, he didn't try to tell him what he learned either. He just said, I want to tell you what happened. And he said, of such a one, I will boast yet myself. I will not boast except in my infirmities. He said, for though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. For I will speak the truth, but refrain lest, I, lest anyone should think of me above what he uh, sees me to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Now, he's given a message He's given information. He's been to the third heavens. He's not going to boast about it, but he has to let them know that I truly am an apostle. The stamp of 
my apostolic authority has been stamped upon me. I have been established as a leader, as one of the spokesmen for Christ. And he says that he won't talk about it, but still the fact that he knows is enough that God sends a thorn to him. Now, he said, he said, um, uh, he said, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Satan got to send it, and Satan got to do it. Well, that can't be from God. Oh, yes, it is. Satan is just his mindless little servant. And he's letting Satan do it. And Satan's like with Job. It's just like with Job. And he's sending and Satan. Oh, I get to get Paul. Paul of all people. Paul. I get to get my thorn. And the, the idea of what the thorn in the flesh may be. Everybody, everybody speculates. My dad was so dogmatic. I mean, he. I remember he preached, he goes, it was not his eyes because he wrote too much. He couldn't have been eyes, couldn't have had bad eyes, and he speculated. He wouldn't say what it was. Some say, well, he was just aware of his sin nature. Eh, probably not. There was something, and the word means to pierce. In fact, some of the commentators, and Calvin alluded to them, actually talk about it. It's a language very similar to if you were to use an ox goad. Now, an ox goad, where, remember Paul on the roads of Damascus? The Lord spoke to him and said, Paul, why do you kick against the pricks? That means the ox goad. When you had your oxen and you were in the field and you would just be an ox, decided not to go anywhere, you had this big, long stick. And usually you'd sharpen the tip of it and it was hardened. So it'd be hard, like on a fire or something. And you swung it on a, a big leather strap. You had it here. And you swing it up and you catch them right in the hawk. They wouldn't want to go. You go... <laughs> And the oxen start going. That's an ox goat. Well, Paul was being pricked by something. The language would allow for something other than physical, but we don't know if it were physical. We don't know if it were emotional. We don't know if it were a satanic presence. We don't know if it was one of his detractors that got more and more opportunities to be a pain. Now, I know you find it hard to believe but people can be a pain. It's been known to happen. My wife will attest to that. We don't know what it was. You know, this passage leaves us hanging like, oh, come on, Paul, tell me what happened up there. Oh, come on, Paul, tell me what the thorn was. No. And he has a reason for that. He says, Concerning this thing, I pleaded to the Lord three times. This isn't a prayer just like what possibly you or I would have. You know, he said, he goes, um, uh, he said, I pleaded to the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now, he knows specifically three times he prayed for it. So whatever this thorn, this person, this affliction, whatever it was, it got so bad, he prayed for it. Oh, Lord, you've got to remove this from me. I can't handle that. You ever had one of those prayers? I can't take this. This has got to stop. I cannot put up with this. And it stopped instantly, right? Not usually. 
Paul prayed three times, and as an apostle, he kind of had some express prayers answered, and he got some things done pretty quick, and the Lord said, no. And he told him why. I want you to notice. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. And if you want to look at all that in the original language, you know what it means? Infirmities, reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. No no one argues that. I want you to notice his language here. I take pleasure in it. How can he possibly take pleasure in that? When you have affliction and trial and things are going wrong, do you know what I've been through, Lord? Do you know what's happened to my family, my job, my health, my children? Do you know what's happened at my church? And the apostle says, I take pleasure in infirmities. Those are physical infirmities. Those are emotional. That's every type of distress he just described. I take pleasure in them. Because he was taught something that apparently he didn't know either in the, in the real way. It was by the Lord God. And the Lord God said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. There's never a time you reach out and cry out to God as when you're defeated and you can do nothing about it. There's never a time we lean more into the Lord God when we say, I'm at the end of my rope, I have nothing. Now think about what he said, if we abide in the vine. I am the vine, the father is the husbandman. He's going to prune you. That doesn't sound pleasant all the time. He's going to do a good work in you so good, so that good fruit can be seen in your life. You are rooted in Christ. Nothing's going to change that. But while you are in Christ, he has plans for you to produce fruit and for me to produce fruit. And it takes distress, infirmities, persecutions. It takes trials. It takes needs. It takes reproaches. It all happens. And God had a plan for that to be in your life. And he planned for that person to be in your life and that specific affliction to be in your life. And he planned it because he's going to bring forth fruit. His strength is going to be made perfect in weakness. And the weaker you are, the more you lean. And the apostle in all his knowledge, he was in the third heavens. He had a revelation people would love to know. With all that, he said, you want to know something? I know how to face infirmity. I know how to face defeat. I know how to face affliction. I know how to face persecution. I know how to face trials that are so far beyond me because I can't. I call out to the Lord Jesus Christ and I I lean on him. 
And his strength is made perfect in my weakness. You know, in Corinthians, it says he chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He chose the weak things of the world. He chose you and he chose me. So he knew what he was doing. He knows my weaknesses. I don't. But you notice what he kept saying all the way through there? He said, I didn't want to talk about himself lest he be proud and boast. Because he knew pride was the bane of the Christian life. When you feel self-sufficient, I can handle this. Do you know when you go to do your prayers at night, when we pray during the day and we pray different times, do you know you were woefully and I am woefully incomplete in our prayer life? And we don't do it well. Some may do it better. We don't do it well. We, we, we struggle with our sin. We struggle with our motivation. We struggle with our dedication. We struggle with it. We struggle enough that the Bible says that the Holy Spirit needs to intercede on our behalf with utterings and groanings that can't be uttered. He's sustaining us. Look at what Jesus Christ calls us to do. Remember some of the things Christ said when he's speaking about faithful Christians? He said, if you do nothing but offer a cool glass of water to a believer, there's eternal reward for that. That's the simplest thing you can do. And you know what? You can't do it well. You can't do it well without him. Because you'll never do it perfectly. Your good works, your good deeds, my good works, my good deeds, will never be perfect in this world. But we are clothed in his righteousness. We are sustained in Christ. And he says, I'm going to produce good fruit in you despite that. When we have faced an option, something in our lives, we say, that's beyond us. I can't do it. Or maybe an opportunity to share the gospel. Or maybe something and you say, there's things I do well. Well, that's that's the killer right there. No, there aren't. No, there really aren't. Because you had a motivational issue. You got, a, you got an ego issue. You got all kinds of things. You may think you're doing something well and you're not doing it well. You're very self-sufficient. We all do that. But someone will say, and we have an opportunity to do something, we go, I could never do that. I would never do that. How will I? I that's a big responsibility. You go, you're right. You're absolutely right. But you're sustained in the vine of Christ. And when we, weak out, when we reach out in our weakness, he knows that. And we ask him, Lord, see me through this. Every good work you do, you can't write a check for your tithe properly. Do we struggle with how we give? What we give? Second thoughts of how we do it? What our finances mean? We all, do we pray, oh God, Change my heart. Help me have the, let me do this properly. And he blesses us. When we come to him and just say, I want to be a good giver. I want to be a faithful steward. I want to do what I need to do. But just help me. You have a discussion with your wife. You get mad. You get upset. I don't want to do this. I don't want. Do we actually then think that's something we have to bring to the Lord? It is. We need help. Because we are weak. As a young Christian, I was just telling Dave about this. Uh, Valparaiso, Indiana. I made a profession of faith at a young age, like man, six, seven. It was a big Baptist revival, and I remember it was, uh, I still remember the course. Years I spent in vanity and pride. You know, that was in, I remember going forth, making a profession. I remember my dad meeting me, and I remember the next night I was baptized with this big group of people. 
We had the assembly line going. No, honestly, and I, and I might have really come to know Christ, but I know my life didn't change and take a drastic turn until I was 18 years old, my senior year in high school. And it happened that he, I remember my father preached this message, and it was, and, and there he said, if you're, he, he read the passage where, if you're ashamed to confess me before men, I'll be ashamed to confess you before the Father. And I was crushed. Because I didn't want to tell, I didn't want to tell people I was a preacher's kid, for one thing, and I was always trying to prove I wasn't. And secondly, I didn't want to talk like, I didn't want to be, I just didn't want it. And I said, I, I've, got to, I've got to let everybody know Jesus Christ is everything to me. I, meant, I made a profession of faith. Again, I said, if I don't know you, Lord, I want to know you. And the next day, that next week, I showed up at my high school. You have to know this. You have to know. And I had my Bible with me everywhere. And I was a little bit, ah, this is going to be rough. Could people say, hey, Dave, I- People just kind of, you see Dave, what he's carrying around, okay. And what I wanted to do, though, is I remember crying. I'm at this age. I said, Lord, I want to know your word. I want to be taught your word. I want to know the word of God. I want to walk with you. I want to do it right now. I want everything right now. I want to get it done right now. I want to know everything right now. You ever been like that? No patience. I want instant sanctification. I want one of those second experiences, something that cuts to the corner, gets rid of all, that, all the necessary field work, the sweat, the tears. I need it now. So I was looking. And a guy came to the church, and uh, he was uh, a good guy. He was actually a good guy. And he preached a message, and he was talking about, you can't do anything. You just got to let loose and let Jesus have it. Kind of like let go and let God. It all sounded well and good. But I never came to that stage where I'd, get, where I'd say, I failed, I failed, I failed, I failed. Lord Jesus, help me. And unfortunately, that particular movement took some bad turns and it was always associated with financial success and stuff like that. And there was no shortcut. And I'm telling you right now, if you're a brother or a sister in Jesus Christ and you're in the vine, he will bring you along at his pace. And he will prune you. And he will challenge you. And there'll be persecutions, there'll be trials, there'll be afflictions, there'll be needs. And there'll be times where you say, how do people do it? How did my parents do it? How did my grandparents? I just can't do it. And the wonderful thing is you can discover what the Apostle Paul discovered in a huge way. That that's a good thing. That's a good place to be. That's the best place to be. Because you're weak. And he promised, he said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. James 4, 6. But he gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When you're proud and self-sufficient, guess what? God opposes you. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we always remember that. I live that life by Jesus Christ and I walk by faith and he will see me through. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you know what the amazing thing about that passage is? Philippians is the most misunderstood there probably is. 
Philippians, Paul says, oh man, I got a place to go. I've got these plans. And he, he was not going to Macedonia. He was not going to Philippi. He did, had no intention. And he got sick. Then he had trials. Then he had all kinds of problems. And he ended up in this town called Philippi. There wasn't even a synagogue. He had to go by the river and find this woman who was a trader in purple because you only had 10 people or less or 12 or less. You went by flowing water and you met and you read some scriptures. You met together. You sang some hymns. And he met these believers. He preached the gospel and her household was saved. And he started to work. And then he sees a girl who's who's demon-possessed, who's telling people things about their future. And he cast the demon out and people got mad. He broke a man, hurt a man financially, so he gets thrown into jail, the Philippian jailer. Remember that story? He never intended to go to Philippi. And Philippi became such a precious church to him. It was the only church he accepted money from. He went to Philippi, and he loved those people. He never had a plan. And God completed and did good work through him, and he said... You know what? Despite me, I can do all things through Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Now that we, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything but being from, our, but being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. In 1 Peter four eleven, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that everything God, in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever. Even those that speak, he says, are, their strength is supplied from God. Everything. And anytime you get up and you speak or preach and teach, what do, we, what do you always know? I better ask for him to be my strength. He said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, and you will and you will find rest for your souls. And in verse thirty, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How can that be? My yoke is is easy and my burden is it is, because you're not going to lift it. He's your strength. What are you depending on? He will see you through, and that's what he's telling you. He then goes on. In John 15, 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it, it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And he said, um, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. I'd like you to notice something that we can all walk away from here tonight. How do I abide in Jesus Christ? You stay in his word. He says, If you abide in me and abide in my commandments, my teachings, You'll fail. You're going to come up short. Won't be able to do it. But when you abide in his words, you'll know it. And you abide in his words, you'll trust in him. And when you abide in the word of God, we can serve him. We can produce fruits that, fruit that quite honestly, only he can produce. We won't ever do it perfectly, but he will produce fruit that'll have eternal reward. And he says, if you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And the only strength we can find is abiding in Jesus Christ, depending on Jesus Christ, acknowledging our weakness, 
and extends saying that pruning, infirmities, needs, reproaches, persecutions, distresses are things that we take joy in. He has perfected us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercies. We thank you that we can learn from our Apostle Paul. So whether you were the greatest amongst the saints of God or the youngest that struggle the most, our strength is in you, Lord Jesus. Teach us now to follow you faithfully, abide in the vine, and rejoice in all things. And again, I say rejoice. Amen.